Romans chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 1, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. Hear the words of Christ to us from Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 1 through verse 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and We gather around your word at this time, pages before us, even phones and devices with your word upon it. We have been saturated with your word. And yet, God, I pray that your word would not just be something we hold in our hands, we we look at with our eyes today, but it would be something that that pierces our hearts, that transforms our lives, that we, that we leave here and we are totally and radically transformed, conformed into the image of your Son who is Christ. God, may we not leave here the same today. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. May be seated. You believe that God works that way? You let your kids watch those movies. You you don't believe that God does things that way. You don't believe in that theological system. You don't let your kids watch those sort of movies. You did that. You went there. You went there with who? I can't believe that you did that. I can't believe that you used to do that. You're going to do what? I'm not sure that I totally agree with you. Now, if we are striving for gospel-driven friendships in the context of the church, those are going to be questions that we are constantly asking one another. If we are genuinely living life together, if we are in the nitty-gritty of real relationships in the context of the church, those questions are going to surface in nearly every conversation, almost every conversation we gather in our Bible fellowship groups. Really? I didn't know you struggled with that. Really? I didn't know that about you. Really? You, You believe that? I can't believe that, that, that you would say that God does things in that way. I can't believe you believe the Bible says that. 
Now, those sort of questions are going to surface over and over. And the question for us, if we call ourselves a church, that, it, that the gospel is at the center, will those questions alienate us? Or will those questions draw us closer together? Will those sort of conversations cause us to hope in God? Or will those conversations push us away from God and away from one another? This has been the issue in the church from the very beginning. Paul writes to a group of Jews and he writes to a group of Gentiles. And and they're having to ask one another those questions. You have this long history with the Jews who they have the Old Testament law that teaches them certain things about their uh, now brothers in Christ, the Gentiles. And, And they're trying to figure out, now how do I relate to you as a brother? You mean you eat bacon for breakfast? I, I no way. Uh, you, you, no way. I, I, I can't even be around you. You had meat for lunch. No way. And why do you wear those clothes? Well, why are you always going to those festivals? You've been circumcised. What in the world? There is no way I'm going through with something like that. Those were conversations. In the context of the New Testament church. And Paul writes to this church and says, don't let those conversations isolate you. Don't let even those intense conversations about ethnicity and about culture and about tradition pull you further apart from one another. No, if you're hoping in God, if you're hoping in the gospel, even those conversations are going to draw you into one another. The goal of your new relationships in Christ, in the church, is so that you would hope in God. The goal of your Christian friendships is that you would hope in God. It's exactly what he's teaching here in Romans chapter 15. Notice verse 1 as he describes and calls us to this obligation that we have to one another, not to alienate, but to call one another to hope in God. Notice he says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Notice, we who are strong, this this term strong, it, it's directly connected throughout the book of Romans to the term glory. The term glory means weight or authority. Romans 3.23, God says about us, we fall short. We have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is we don't have the authority to be God. We don't have the power to be God. But what do we do? We sin because we act like we are God. You're not strong enough to be God. You haven't been given the strength to be God. And yet you act like God. And yet in Christ... Christ has taken our sin upon himself. Christ, who lived a perfect life, died for our sin of rebellion. He died for the fact that we act like we are God, even though we don't have that right. He took that rebellion upon himself. God raised him from the dead. And now what Paul teaches in Romans is the way that you are strong is not in your own strength, but trusting in the strength of Christ. 
And so he tells those in the church, you who are strong, you who are strong in the grace of God, you who are living in the grace of God, you have a debt to those who are weak, to those who are not living in the grace of God, to those who are struggling with the law. I've been raised with the law and I want to push the law on others. They're not strong in the grace of God. They're strong in their legalism. And yet those who are guilty... Those who are condemned, I'm not a Jew. I don't have the law. And they walk around with this sense of condemnation. He said, those of you who are strong in the grace of God and you see all of life in light of the gospel, you see the law in light of the gospel, you see condemnation in light of the gospel, you are to help those who are weak. And this is the way we're to understand growth in the context of the church. Are you strong in the grace of God? So often in the context of the church, the way we think about growth is this sort of levels of discipleship. This, this sort of, you know, we, we get in the church and, and, and we, we, we're serving, we're, we're vacuuming the floors, we're mopping the floors, and, and then we're serving in Awana, then we're serving on Frontline, and then we're teaching a BFG. And then when we're older, we really don't do much. But we've had all this experience and we have all this wisdom and we're sort of like this spiritual Jedi over in the corner, sort of like Yoda. He doesn't really do much, but every now and then he's called into action. And and that's who the senior adults are in the church at times. And and I I want to go on that pattern of growth. How do I do it? Well, here's step one. Pastor, give me some steps at the end of the sermon. Read your Bible, step one. Step two, pray. Step three, come to church. Step four, join a ministry. And that's the way we think about growth. Steps, levels. Where am I on this spiritual journey? And yet the way the Bible determines growth is, are you strong in the grace of God? Your life may be a mess. Folks may not want you teaching a BFG. Folks may not want you on front line. And your life may be a mess, and yet you're clinging to the gospel You're holding on to the grace of God. That's what it means to grow. That's what it means to be strong. It's not always easy to see. Despite your sin, you're trusting in the cross of Christ. Despite conflict in your marriage, you're trusting in the grace of God. It's not always by what you do in the church. It's how you see life in light of the gospel. The way relationships often result from this sort of level of discipleship in the church is there's lots of alienation. I can't be a friend with you unless you're on my level. I I can't be in a BFG unless they want to study the same things that are, that are on my level. I can't be friends with you unless you affirm my brand of theology. And, And those things that are to cause us to grow often isolate us and alienate us. And what Paul, he makes it very simple. Are you strong in the grace of God? Are you strong in the gospel? Are you hoping in God's mercy for yourself? If you are, notice he says, you have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. This is a debt you have. This is a responsibility you have. You're not to say, am I responsible for the weak? I wonder. No, you are indebted to the weak. Why? Because you were weak and Christ served you. 
you were never on Christ's spiritual level. You were never on his level. You will never be as strong as he is. And yet he humiliated himself to serve you because you were weak and Jesus who is strong bore your weakness. You are to bear the weaknesses of others in the context of the church. Notice he says failings, which literally is infirmities, sicknesses, ailments of the weak. Those who are not standing in the grace of God. You're not to be like the the husband who says, my wife is so unspiritual. She hates Bible study. Not try to have family devotion. She hates it. She hates coming to church. And my kids are so rebellious. I mean, just look at them. They just do whatever they want to, right? What, what are we going to do, pastor? Well, I don't know. You're, you're responsible for your family. I can help you with that. Oh, it's not my responsibility. Don't we have a youth pastor around here? I mean, don't we have somebody... And there's this thing in our heart that always wants to shed the responsibility to someone else. And it happens in the context of the church. The older men sit around and say, you know, I don't know why these young folks aren't serving. I don't know why they aren't giving to the church. I mean, the offering's been down and it has to be because these young folks, they just don't give anymore. Or or the young guy who says, you know, these older folks in the context of the church, they don't care about missions. They don't care about serving the poor. And Paul says here, if you think you're strong in that area, you have a debt to get around those who are weak in that area and help them out. You you get around the young folks and you say, here's how you serve. Come with me. We're going to make a visit over here. This lady's sick. You come with me. Let me teach you how to serve. Here's how you move chairs. I know you have never done it, but let me show you how to move a chair from one spot of the church to the other. And, And you get around them and you show them, hey, I know you don't know how to manage your money. Hey, let me show you. This is what this is what someone taught me about how you tithe and how you give to the church. Or the young folks say, hey, I'm going on a mission trip. I want to give you a prayer guide. This is how you can pray for me and you bear with the weaknesses of others you don't alienate them you serve together and the church becomes strong and the church grows together but there has to be an attitude notice he says let us each please our neighbor for his good if you think it's good thanks buddy you barely went bearing with my weakness this morning. <laughs> Nobody else cared. <laughs> that was your mother, by the way. But notice as he continues, he says, let us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. You, you think it's good for the young guy to understand how to serve in the church? You think it's good for the the older guy to understand what missions is all about? Will you invest in his life for his good? But here he primarily he's talking about these infirmities, these weaknesses. And notice he uses the, the, the term neighbor. Now, when we think about neighbor in the context of the New Testament, we are always to be drawn to a story that Jesus told. A story of a man who was traveling on a road and he was robbed and he was beaten and he was thrown to the side of the road. And here comes some religious folks 
Here comes a priest. And what does the priest do? He walks on by. And then here comes a very religious man, according to his ethnicity, a Levite. What does he do? Walks on by. But then here comes a Samaritan, a half-breed, one who would have been disgusting to the Jews, one who would have made them want to vomit. We think about the story of the Samaritan woman. We think about issues of worship. They couldn't figure that out. They would have been disgusting to the Jewish community. But who becomes the hero of the story? The one we call the good Samaritan. And so when Jesus says, when they ask Jesus, who is our neighbor? What Jesus says is anyone who is in need. You are to follow the example of the Samaritan, the hero of the story, the unlikely candidate in your eyes, the one who is not religious, the one who has not been raised the way you are. And yet he becomes the hero of the story. And what Paul is alluding here to is that same story. And he's saying in the context of the church, you are to serve anyone who is in need. You are not to walk past the weaknesses of others. You are not to look at the sin of others and go, oh my goodness, that's disgusting. And just walk on by. That is an awful cut. The the ailments, the, the, the sicknesses. Oh, good night. Look at that infection. That must be awful. Were you going to help me out? No, that stuff grosses me out. But I want some, hey, there's a sick person over here. Somebody come help. No, you are too. Bear with them, the text says, which isn't just to point it out or to notice it or to endure it. You are to, what he says here, build them up. You are to strengthen them. You are to notice these things and invest in their lives for their strength. Notice he says, for their good, to build them up. This is the same terminology that Paul uses in Ephesians when he's talking about the body, the church, And as the church grows together and as everyone uses their gifts, the church becomes stronger and then the church becomes stronger. And what does the church do? The church helps itself grow stronger. And so in the context of the church, you see yourself strong. You are to serve others and make them strong because one day they're going to serve you and make you strong. And the church grows up. And at the end of Ephesians, we read of this strong warrior. You know, the passage about putting on the armor of God. That passage is about Jesus who is fighting for you and you hope in him and you become strong by trusting in him. And what Paul is saying here is that's how we build one another up. We push each other to Jesus. We push each other to the gospel. We don't push each other to our preferences. We don't pull each other to the way that we see it. We push each other to Jesus. Now that's hard for some of us. To swallow. Because when we think about being strong, we think about doing things the way we want them done. You don't do things the way I want them done. You must be weak. Let me show you to do. No, it's about the gospel at the end of the day. It's about delighting in Christ. I want you to serve the church so you delight in Christ, not just so you do what I want you to do. I want you to give to the church so you delight in Christ. I want you to go on mission trips so you delight in Christ, not just because that's the way that I see it. If your goal is simply 
to conform others to yourself, you will have artificial, generic, weak relationships. But if your goal is to push others to the gospel, to cause others to hope in God, to build them up in the gospel, your friendships will be deep. They will be abiding. They will be lasting. You can't be like, you know, we have grandparents who they call us and, hey, what are the kids? And they always say this. Some of your grandparents, I know it's going to offend you. What do the kids need for Christmas? Now, you can guess what my response is to that. They don't need anything. They have food, they have clothing, and they have shelter. They're fine. Now, what do they need? Okay, if you want to give them something for Christmas, just send some money. Just send a gift card. That's fine. And the response to that is, money, a gift card. I've got to get them something special. They've got to know that's for me when they open up the gift and it's a PlayStation 3. And they got to know grandma spent $300 on the precious little baby. And then I got to monitor video games and have, hey, no, you can't play. Get away from that thing. And then that, that blessing becomes a curse to me for the next three years. But it's all about them knowing grandma. We live so many hours away. Well, that's about you, Grandma. And I tell our grandparents that. Hey, just yeah, they love you. They know you. They see you all the time. But, but in the context of the church, we do the same thing. Hey, I want you to need me. I want you to know my gifts. I want you to do things my way. I want to give you some help, but I want to make sure everybody in the church knows it. So I'm going to put it on Facebook. I want to make sure everybody knows what I'm doing. Hey, I'm the one organizing meals. You got to go through me. That sort of service is all about you and what it is doing. It's causing others to hope in you. Do you want others to hope in you and your gifts and your abilities? Or are your gifts and abilities pushing them toward Jesus? Notice he continues. Verse 3. For Christ, who is our example, and yet this is to be not just an example, it is the power and presence of Christ that is in us that will call us to do these things. Notice, for Christ, King of glory, all authority, all power, did not please, did not serve himself. This this is your example. This is who you follow, one who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Didn't hold on to it. But what did he do? He humbled himself, became a man, became a servant, became a slave, became a curse on a cross. What was his goal? The good of you, your best interest. He served you. He did not serve himself. And if this is what Jesus did, this is where we got to get to. In the, if this is who Jesus is and our goal is to be like Jesus... This has got to be where our spiritual maturity is marked. It's not by what Bible study we're in, not by how many days we come to church. It's not what we do for Jesus. It's are we drawn to the weak like Jesus was? You want to know if you're growing in Christ? You want to know if you're becoming a stronger Christian? Are you drawn to those who are weak? That's the question. 
If you think you're becoming strong by the things that you're doing, by the things that you're studying, the issue is at the end of the day, do they draw you to serve the weak? Notice, text continues, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. It's not just though he served the weak, he served the rebellious. And he quotes from the psalm here, and Jesus is the fulfillment of this psalm where the psalmist is crying out, those who are attacking God, the enemies of God, I'm being punished because people hate God. And what he says here is that's Jesus. Jesus fulfilled that psalm as those who are described as enemies of God, those who are weak, those who are sinners, those who fall short of the glory of God, their reproaches fell upon him. That's the extent Jesus goes To serve us. He would bear our reproaches. He would endure our reproaches. To the point of screaming out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm not a sinner. Why have you forsaken me? I am the just. Why have you forsaken me? I fulfilled your law. I have glorified you every second of my life. Why have you forsaken me? Why have the reproaches fell upon me? And the answer is so that you would never have to be forsaken. And that is to be the culture in the church. If that's what Jesus has done for us, that's what we're supposed to do for one another. And that's the heart of genuine biblical friendship is that you are willing to bear the sins of your friends. You're willing to endure them even when it hurts, even when it costs you something. Why are you speaking that way to me? Why are you turning the cold shoulder to me? Why aren't you talking to me? Jesus bore your sin. You bear the sins of your friends. This is why genuine friendship in the context of the church often is a far-fetched idea. And in the context of the church, it's why so many relationships are artificial. Because when it gets, you know, sort of messy, we're done. When conflict happens, we're done. I walk away. I'm not talking to them. I haven't talked to them in years. Yeah, we go to the same church. But, but listen, I decided a long time ago, if they're involved in a ministry, I'm not showing up for that. We're unwilling to bear the reproaches of one another, to bear the sin of one another. When Jesus endured the wrath of God for our sin, we won't bear the sort of awkward moments that it takes to resolve conflict. And what happens is it's usually our buddies outside of the church who know us a lot better than the folks in the church. It's our drinking buddies. It's our teachers in the lounge. It's the, it's the folks we're at the ballpark around. And they, they know a little bit more about us because we're willing to sort of let our hair down. We're willing to, we're willing to sort of be who we are around them because we know in the context of the church, if I'm really who I am, people won't talk to me anymore. I can't be who I am in the context of the church. I've got to show up and act like I know these songs. I've got to show up and act like I know what a deacon is. I've got to show up and act like I know what this this plate's up here, what they're for, and this thimble of juice and this cracker. I've got to act like I know all of these things, and then I leave, and then I can really be who I am. 
That's not to be the culture in the church. If we really believe the gospel and if Jesus died for your sins, it's okay to be a sinner in the church. You're not pursuing sin. You're pursuing Christ. But as you pursue Christ, you will become more and more aware of your sin and you're going to need somebody who's strong to help you through it. This should be a place where it's perfectly normal for the recovering homosexual to say, yeah, I'm a recovering homosexual. And we say, the gospel is true. We're here for you. This should be a place where, where folks stand up and, yeah, I've been married three or four or five times. And, and, yeah, I just can't get it right. And my kids are rebellious and I don't know what else to do. And we say, the gospel is true. We love you. Let us walk through. Hey, in the context of the church, so often we think about testimonies and we think about the pretty people. We only want pretty people on the screens. We, we only want people who have it together and we only want people who are on this side of the sin. Okay, you had that sin issue, now it's over and you're done. Yeah, you. what if someone got up and said, yeah, this is my sin issue and I still don't know how to figure it out. Will you please pray for me? Would you walk away and say, oh, that's pitiful. They still don't understand Jesus the way that I do. Or would you say, let me help you? Paul says, that's our debt. That's our obligation in the context of the church. Notice he continues, willing to bear with the reproaches of others. Notice verse 4. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Was written to correct us, was written to put us back together was written to show us how we are to live through endurance and through encouragement. These two words together point to the issue of hope of the scriptures that we might have hope. What he says here is there are thousands and thousands of years of, of God revealing himself to his people that are to cause us to hope. You read your Old Testament. You read of the story of Abraham. And God comes to this moon worshiper out in the middle of nowhere. And he adopts him. And what does he say? All the peoples of the earth who have been separated, who have been cast out because of their rebellion, they will be brought back together in you. And what Paul is telling the church here is that's happening now. Look around. Jew, Gentile. That's not to cause you to hate one another. That's to cause you to hope in God. God fulfilling his promises here. And the same things that happen Sunday after Sunday here. We gather here and we say, look, I'm here. You're here. Look at all we've been through. Look, look at all of our issues. My Jewish neighbor's here. The former Buddhist is here. Look at all of these people. And you know what went, used to go on in his life? And they're here and the gospel is true. And we're here to cause us to hope in God. Notice he continues, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you with one voice might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he says is you don't gather in the church and get rid of your differences. You don't all of a sudden become one Jew or one Gentile who acts the same way. 
No, you're Jews and you're Gentiles and you still have your differences. And you know what makes the church glorious is you can still gather together and worship Jesus Christ with one voice. And so we gather in the church and we have hipsters and we have traditionalists and we have college students and we have senior adults or, or more seasoned folks. I still haven't not figured out what to call you guys. You get mad, whatever I say. <laughs> People who are older. And we gather here and there are folks who like Southern gospel and there's folks who like uh, more contemporary music and there's folks who wear flip-flops and there's folks who don't wear shoes and there's folks who come and they, they wear a suit and then we gather here and we don't say, hey, everybody wear a suit. Hey, everybody wear flip-flops. No. We say, look, suits and flip-flops. That glorifies Jesus because we can all love Jesus together. Southern gospel. Drums. We can all glorify Jesus together. He says, don't get rid of your differences. Don't get rid of the diversity. The glory of Jesus Christ is made known when people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation gather together and honor Jesus. When people who are strong and people who are weak gather together and the gospel is true for every single one of them. That's what makes the church the church. Notice this term glory is used again, living under the authority of Jesus Christ, not living under the authority of our rules, of our preferences, but letting diversity be there because diversity causes us to hope in God. If you, from your background, and all you've been through can believe the gospel, then surely I can. And if you're not believing the gospel, then I'm going to help you. Because look, I used to be where you are. Notice he continues verse 7. Therefore, in light of this, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Now we read that. Welcome and we think about a hospitality team. We think about frontline. We think about, hey, when you show up, we're going to be nice to you. We're going to give you a bulletin. We're going we're to give you a free gift. We're going to give you a coffee mug. And, and we're going to be nice to you. And we're gonna... It's more than that. It's deeper. This idea of welcome, this idea of hospitality in the New Testament was you throw your doors open. You wash the stranger's feet. You feed the stranger food. You treat him like one of your own. That's what we're to do for one another in the context of the church. And that's what it means to be a friend in the context of the church. Hey, in Christ, we're brothers. Friendship isn't this artificial thing where I just get what I want. It's where I serve you as I would serve one of my own. But notice the clarification as Christ welcomed you. Now this whole passage takes us back to Romans 5. Where he's talking about those of us who were weak. And while we were weak, what did Christ do for us? While the text says we were weak and we were ungodly. And we were sinners. The text even goes further in Romans chapter 5 where he says... When we were enemies of God, how did Christ welcome you? What did Christ do for you? He bore your sin. He died for you while you were weak. He didn't stand back and say, hey, get strong. 
get strong and then, and then we can have a relationship. Hey, stop sinning. Stop sinning and then we can have a relationship. Don't be so ungodly. Don't be so worldly. Now, what did he do? He pursued you in your weakness. It's the same thing you're to do for your friends. You may not know your friend has a weakness. But if you are pursuing them the same way Christ pursued you, you're going to find out. Because you're going to serve and you're going to sacrifice and you're going to do whatever it takes for their good. And they're going to look at you one day and say, I know you love me. So I know you'll help me with this. And that's what happens in the context of the church. And the gospel drives our friendships. So many of us come in and we're going, hey, why don't I have any friends? Why does anyone want to hang out with me? Why does anybody want to have coffee with me? Why does anyone want to come over to our house? Why didn't anybody invite me over to their house? I know she's a wonderful cook and she's having all these people and she posted on Facebook and all this wonderful food and she never invites us over. And I, man, I would love to. And that's the way we think about friendship. And yet it's just the opposite. Who are you welcoming for the sake of the gospel? Who are you pursuing that's weak? Who are you pursuing with the grace of God found in Christ? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gospel. And God, I pray today that despite whatever distractions, the gospel would be what we cling to, would be what we hope to hope in. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.